I'll invite us together to turn again into God's Word to uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Um, We're in a short series of messages in this month of May, kind of revisiting our vision as a church that comes out of this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, as Paul is uh, writing and talking about uh, his calling and his ministry, and, and by extension, that of Uh, all those who are called uh, as Christ's ambassadors. And so I'm going to read the whole passage, though we'll be looking specifically at verses 16 and 17, as well as the passage in uh, 1 John that Laura read for us earlier. Let's give our attention to God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others... But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For we, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, That one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, would you add your blessing and the illumination of your spirit to the reading and hearing and now to the teaching of your word. Lord, draw us to yourself that we might be sent out as your ambassadors who live for you, who love like you, and who lead others to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, we're revisiting our, our, our vision as a church. And, and, and by vision, we mean who we are, what we are, are called to by God as a particular community in this place and at this particular time. Uh, those who are Christ's body, an embassy or an outpost of the kingdom of God here in Apex and in the surrounding communities. And we're reviewing, we're, we're renewing in a sense that vision, particularly as, it expressed, as it's expressed in our name, Ambassador Presbyterian Church. Paul says in this passage, we are ambassadors for Christ. As those who are, are redeemed from sin and, and reconciled to God by, by Christ laying down his life for us, by his death and resurrection, we are called by our King, Jesus, to, and we are brought into a community together with, with other believers 
And we are commissioned by him as his representatives to go out as his emissaries. And Paul says we are entrusted with a, a ministry. We are entrusted with a message of reconciliation. That are the means by which God is continuing his work of redemption and reconcil- reconciliation in this world. And to be Christ's ambassadors is to, is to speak on behalf of and to serve in the name of our King, our, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned last week, that's a high and a holy calling for us. And it's one that is lived out, however, in the, in the everyday uh, warp and woof of, of life, down in the trenches of, of regular life in this world that God is, is, is reconciling to himself. And based on, on Paul's teaching in this passage and Jesus' teaching in John 15 and other places during his ministry, we've, we've summarized what Christ's ambassador are called to, what it means for us in this, this refreshed language, if you will. It means living for our king, it means loving like our king, and it means leading to our king. I told you last week you're going to be hearing that a lot. <laughs> and it's not, just a, it's not just a slogan we want to say, but it's a, we're, we're going to be hearing a lot because we want, to, we want it to be f- uh, focused in and, and, and summarize how we um, live together and how we guide our ministries. And as we saw last week, because of Christ's sacrificial love for us, laying down his life and taking it up again for us. We are united to him. We are brought into union with him in such a way that we are no longer masters of our own little kingdoms of self, that we have been redeemed and bought with a price, and now our, our alliance and thus our allegiance has changed. In Christ, we are allied now to the, to the king of kings, and therefore we no longer live for ourselves, Paul says, but rather for him who died for us. We live for him. Our lives are now to be oriented in every way towards, towards our king, serving him, towards honoring him, towards glorifying his name, towards carrying out his will, obeying his, his word, towards abiding in him by his spirit and, and particularly in his love so that the fruit of, of his life and his love flow out from our lives and our love for one another. We said that begins with worship. To live for our king means that, that we know him, we, we spend time with him, we, we converse with him, we express praise to him, we gather together and meet with him and listen and learn from him and, 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 and speak with him. This world is not our home, but we're here for a purpose. God has called us as his ambassadors in a foreign land, so to speak, an alien kingdom, and because of that, we are integrally and, and, and vitally connected to the sovereign leader and the laws of our, our homeland. As Christ's ambassadors, we live for, for king and country, so to speak, for Christ and his kingdom. And what that means in terms of our relationships with others and those in the world is that we, we love like our king loved us. Paul says this new life is compelled and controlled by a new love, the love of Jesus Christ. It hems us in. It it drives us from being self-centered to being Christ-centered in how we live and relate to others. And what that life looks like is a life of love. Jesus' constraining love is meant to, to flow to us and to flow through us 
to others that they might experience and know the, the redeeming, reconciling love of the king themselves. And this was Jesus' commission to his disciples on the night before he would go to the cross. We, we read last week John 15, that familiar verse of, of Jesus talking about being the, the vine and we are the branches. And, and earlier in that, that discourse, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the mark of being an ambassador for Christ? It's how we love. It's how we love one another. It's how we represent our king and show the world the greatness and, and glory of our king as we manifest his love for us. Now Paul doesn't mention love per se here in this passage in 2 Corinthians, but he does point to a, a prerequisite of sorts for being able to love like Jesus. And that is, that is not only a change in our life, but a, a change in our view, a change in our perspective and how we regard others. The inclination and the ability to love others will depend to a large degree on how we see them, how we regard them. And Paul says in verse 16, he says, Therefore, because of Christ's sacrificial love that now compels us to live for him, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul says Christ's love changes the way we see, the way we consider, the way we, we come to, to view and know others. Before his conversion, Paul says he judged people including Jesus, according to the flesh. And what he means there is according to the, to the outward worldly standards, according to things as we see them, so to speak, naturally. To Paul, who was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, Jesus was not at all what was expected in the coming Messiah. His birth was tainted with scandal. He was a, a backwoods carpenter from Nazareth. He was poor. He was uneducated. He had a ragtag band of followers and he hung out with the worst kind of, of riffraff in society. He challenged religious authority. He made, in Paul's mind, blasphemous claims. And so according to, to Paul, as he viewed Jesus, according to the flesh, he was a failed revolutionary who deserved what he got on the cross. And Paul dedicated himself not to loving but to hating Jesus and persecuting his followers. See, Paul was not able to see beyond the, the human perspective. He could only see things outwardly according to uh, the, the wisdom of the world, human wisdom. And when we do that, and that's often how we see people, we regard them in categories. We separate people into, into particular groups, don't we? Think about when you meet someone. When you meet someone, it's kind of like if you're like me, I start kind of mentally filling in the blanks of an application. <laughs> you know, how old are they? What do they look like? Where are they from? What do they do? You, you, you begin to, to, to go through these categories that, that the world says are important. And all the while, even though we may not be aware, we're, we're making assessments, aren't we? Is this someone I can relate to? Is this someone that I want to spend time with? Is this someone who shares, you know, my interests or my values? Is this someone worth my attention, worth my love? 
And oftentimes our judgments, our decisions, our interactions with, with this particular person or with a particular group of people are based on those kind of external, worldly assessments. Now, it's not that, that none of those things matter. It's not that we don't want to know those things or we shouldn't ask those things. And sometimes they're important to ask. If you're, if you're hiring a babysitter or you're going to, to see a doctor, you want to be sure they have certain characteristics and that they have certain qualifications. Um, and so you might want to ask those questions. But if we're judging a person's true worth, if we're looking at a person's value from an eternal perspective, from a spiritual perspective, Paul says those are all the wrong criteria. That's how we see things from a worldly perspective. But that kind of, kind of external worldly assessment is not what we want. And when Paul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, it was as if suddenly scales fell from his eyes, literally. He was able to see Jesus for who he truly is. He was able to see him as the, the risen and reigning king. He became convinced, as he says earlier, that Jesus didn't just die, not just for him, but he died for all types of people. The cross, which he, Paul formerly despised as a sign of God's curse, became the center of his life as a symbol of God's love. And everything was radically changed that he did, such that he describes this transformation as, as being a new creation. The gospel brings about a radical shift in our mindset and in our worldview such that what really matters is not the outward but the inward. And the human categories, the labels that separate us and often cause hostilities among us Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he says, those walls have been brought down in Christ Jesus. They're brought down by his love. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, black or white, American or Chinese or Hispanic, or you can go on with the list. Paul now sees people in terms of eternal categories reconciled to God or not reconciled to God, slaves to sin or sons and daughters of the living God. And so this new creation that Christ brings about means that our old way of doing things, our old way of seeing people, our old ways of understanding people pass away. And new ways of seeing, a new perspective, and a new passion to see people through the eyes of Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. When we see with the eyes of Jesus, people become not just potential objects of what they can do for us, but potential objects of Christ's love and God's redemption. So John, in his first letter, spends a good deal of time reflecting on this call to love like our king. And in chapter 3, which we read earlier, John echoes Jesus' teaching, saying, this is a message which we've heard from the beginning. This is not new, new information, that we should love one another. And he takes us into a deeper understanding of what that looks like by giving two contrasting examples. He gives the neg negative example of Cain and the positive, positive example of Jesus Christ. His exhortation is pretty simple. John says, 
Don't be like Cain, who hated his brother. Be like Christ in the way we love one another and the way he loved us. And certainly if anyone stands out as the classic example of how not to love your brother, it would be Cain. In fact, the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4 is the seminal conflict that has played out in the rest of human history between those whom God is, is redeeming and belong to him by faith and those who rebel against God and thus remain, as, as John says, of the evil one. Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve and, were brought, and both brought sacrifices to God, we're told. And while we don't have all the details, we simply know that Abel's was offered in faith and Cain's, for some reason, Cain's was not. And God did not accept Cain's offering. And despite God's call to Cain to, to turn and to trust in him, an invitation to come back into his love, Cain takes his anger at God out on his brother Abel, and he kills him. Now notice the root of Cain's problem. It's jealousy. It's ultimately the root of sin in his heart, but it's, it's manifested itself in jealousy. He saw things according to the flesh. He took things out on Abel, not because Abel necessarily did something wrong, but because he did something right. And in comparing himself to his brother, in, in, in looking at how this measuring was going on between him and his brother, it exposed the evil in his own heart. And rather than, than look to God's, to God's love, he hated his brother and took his life. Now, it's impossible to truly love others like Jesus if our relationship with God and with others is based on how we measure up with others around us and how we see things and compare them from a worldly perspective. If you live your life measuring yourself by the world's standards and by how you compare to others, two, one of two things will happen, or maybe both will happen. One, you'll go through life resenting and envying those who seem better off or more spiritual whose life seems more in order than yours. You'll find it hard to love someone who doesn't seem to have the, the same problems or to face the same struggles as you. You feel like you don't measure up and therefore you'll be, you'll be tempted to try and, and maybe take others down a notch in some way, which is what happened to Cain. And the other thing that can happen when we compare ourselves according to the flesh is that, is that we will reject or we will look down upon those who maybe seem worse off or less spiritual or who have more struggles or trials to deal with. We can become, when we compare ourselves like this, we can become kind of self-righteous in relationship to others. We can lack compassion or grace towards those who are truly struggling. This was a response of the, the elder brother in Jesus' parable of the two sons who got angry who stayed away when his wayward, rebellious younger brother was welcomed back with great love and open arms by the father. He couldn't believe his father would be merciful and loving to such a sinful son. And so he, he alienated himself. Rather than receiving the welcome of the father and the invitation to come in, he alienated himself in anger and bitterness. And John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, the indication, the assurance, the stamp of authenticity that we have understood, we have received Christ's reconciling, redeeming love, is that that love changes how we view people. It changes how we assess our own life and our own measure of, of worth in this world. 
It's now assessed by what Christ has done for us. And therefore we can look at others and assess and, and, and see them from the perspective of Christ's love and grace. If we don't know Christ's love, John says we're in danger of being like Cain. Allowing petty jealousies, personal affronts, self-righteous anger to take root in our heart. And what does it lead us to do? It leads us, according to John, to hate others. <laughs> it leads us to, 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 to express hatred instead of love. And the test which Jesus gives and which John notes here for whether we truly have been born of God, have belonged to God, or ambassadors of God, is are we truly loving others, particularly our brothers and sisters in the church? So ask yourself, is there someone that you're harboring anger towards or bear a grudge against that just kind of pops back up every time you see that person or comes, comes back up? Is there someone whose circumstances cause you to be jealous or envious in some way such that you may just kind of subtly resent them or you maybe even reject them? Is there someone whose personality or way they do things just gets under your, under your skin and you're just kind of peeved whenever you're around them? I have to confess, there are people like that that I know and that that, that happens in me. Are you disappointed or jealous when someone else succeeds or experiences blessings such that you don't really share in their joy? These are all indications. They're warnings for us, if you will. They're what God uses and the Spirit uses to remind us, don't be like Cain. That's Cain-like behavior. Be like Jesus. John says, God's children, Christ's ambassadors, are not like Cain. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his people. I've had people say that. I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. It doesn't work that way. Because the Bible says, if we love Christ, we will love his people, and we will love others like he has loved us. Christ has defined that true Christian love for us and it extends to those he calls us into fellowship with as his people. And John says, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. The love of Christ compels us, Paul says, because we have concluded that Christ died for all and therefore all have died. Notice the inclusion here. Jesus does not direct his love according to outward worldly standards. His love is not imparted based on the, the things of the flesh, but it's imparted on, on all without discernment or without distinction on Christ, who Christ wants to place his love upon. He calls those who receive his self-sacrificing love to offer up that same self-sacrificing love for others. And so, John says, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Again, he's reflecting Jesus' words. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. The world sees love primarily in terms of what one gets out of it for oneself. Jesus, is see, Jesus sees love primarily as what one puts into it for another. Cain revealed his hatred by taking another's life. Christ reveals his love by giving up his own life. 
And thus his love compels us to love in this same way, to lay down our life for others. Now, my guess is, and my hope is, that there are few of us who will literally be called to give up our lives for another. Although, it could happen and we are called to be ready and willing for it. But there are countless ways in which we die to self, in which we literally lay down our, our, our uh, rights to our own kingdom, to our selfish desires and pleasures and conveniences to love those around us. John gives us a true-to-life application of it here. He says, if anyone has the world's good, goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Again, here's a kind of litmus test for loving like the king. And there seems to be two conditions met. One is that our eyes are open to see the needs of those around us. That's what we just talked about. That we, we see with a different perspective. We see things through Christ's eyes. We're able to be watchful for the needs of, of our brothers and sisters and those in our, around us. We need to be alert and attentive to what's going on in each other's lives. To be aware of, of how we can help meet those needs which, which we, others have. It may be a material or a, a physical need, some financial help, offering food and shelter, help finding a job, going over and, and helping someone move into a, a, a new place, caring for uh, someone who's going through an illness. It may be emotional or spiritual need, needing encouragement or help through a stressful situation, walking with someone who's going through a particular struggle with, with sin or a particular, particularly intense trial of some sorts. Just being present with someone, listening, praying with them. In order to know and see the needs of those around us, we have to know and we have to, to, to spend time and share those needs with one another. And that happens as we share life together Outside of this kind of gathering here together on Sunday mornings. God puts us into community together that we might not only worship him, but we might go out and love like him. And love one another like him. Now, you can't know everyone in the church <laughs> in that kind of way. You can know everyone in the church, but you can't know them in that kind of, that, uh, just by gathering here on Sunday, know them um, in that kind of way, unless you're spending time and getting together and, and being in some other community, a smaller group or a, a ministry together or gathering together outside to do things in life together. God calls us to meet together regularly in order to encourage one another, as the writer of the Hebrew says, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds and this happens when we are engaged in life together in, in, those, uh, in those regular everyday settings. Gathering for a meal in your homes, meeting at a park, being involved in a small group or a ministry team where we're sharing and serving in our lives together. If you think about it, that's what Jesus did, isn't it? He entered into our space. He came into our world. He went into our neighborhoods and entered our homes and shared meals and asked questions and told stories. He was attentive to people's needs. And he saw them with, a, with eyes of compassion and he responded to them with acts of love. Which is the second condition, John notes. He says, if we have the resources to meet that need, if we get to know what those needs are, we have the resources to meet that need and we don't do it, 
He says, we're closing our hearts to them. It's an interesting phrase. If we have an opportunity to practically show love to someone by helping meet a particular need, but we don't do it, it's not because we're not able to, but it's because we aren't willing. We close ourselves off. For whatever reason, we, we, we shut the door, we, we, we turn off the valve, we put up a barrier to God's love towards them. And in doing so, John says, we bring into question whether indeed God's love abides in us. And so, so John puts it like this, to love like our king is summarized in this way. Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us not just say we love one another, but let's show it in the way we interact and we care and we meet one another's needs and then carry that out into our community as we seek to meet the needs of others. Don't just give lip service to loving others, but put it into action by practically living out that self-sacrificing, need-meeting, joy-producing love that Christ has given to us. And that's what Paul reiterates, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians 13. He reminds us, first of all, that any, any action, any good deeds that are not motivated by love, that are motivated by something else, by some selfish motive, are really worth nothing. They're useless. But then he goes on to describe what love is, and it's all in action-oriented language. Love is patient and kind. Remember that, moms, when you're with your children. <laughs> love is, is, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not insist on its own ways. It's not rejoicing in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. John says, by this, meaning our love for others, not just in word or talk, but in, the, in these ways of, 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 of practically living it out, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before God. We know we have been loved by our King when we love like our King. And so, friends, Christ's love transforms our life and transforms our love. And as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we have a new mindset. We are new creations. We no longer see and regard people according to the world's perspective. God has brought us here together in this church to love one another and to love our community as Christ has loved us. So just look at the person next to you. Just turn your head. Look at the person next to you. Take a gander around the room. That person, we as God's people, we are, because of Christ's love, we are new creatures in Christ. We are brought together in union with him and with union with one another. You and I are objects of Christ's love. You are precious children of God. And we're put here together to know one another. To grow in that love together. To see and share our needs together. To engage our gifts and the resources that God has given us. To lay down our lives in love for one another. And for God's kingdom. And in order to do that, we have to make time for one another. We have to get to know one another. We have to enter into the lives of others for the purpose of showing Christ's love. How are you involved in the lives of others in the body of Christ? It's a good question to ask. It's a good question I want us to keep in front of us as we go forward. How are we getting involved in one another's lives? And what opportunities 
can we make to do that? And that's true for our community as well. How do we see those around us and those we meet? Do we look around and see them just according to the flesh? Oh, those people are not like us. They don't think like us. Or I'm not sure I could ever uh, you know, have anything to, to offer to them or they don't have anything to offer to me. Do we view them according to the flesh and divide people into various categories according to ethnicity or social status or political views? Do we buy quickly into the identity politics that characterizes our world and rather than creating love, creates division and hostility? Got, got it. Thought it was a message from the Lord there for a minute. I wasn't sure. Needed to give attention because it was there. <laughs> or do we see people like Jesus does? Like sheep without a shepherd. As objects of his reconciling love. And do we, do we seek to demonstrate that love by going and engaging their needs in ways that opens our hearts and theirs to the love of Christ? We have more opportunities to do that. But love is not optional for Christ's ambassadors. It is the backbone of our identity and of our calling. So if you're here and you're questioning, do I really know God's love? The answer to that question is you can. He says, come to me. Trust in me. Walk with me. And you will know my love. And you can know his love even now by believing in his name. And if we know his love and laying down his life for us, let us love others with that self-sacrificing love. We will not be like Cain, <laughs> but rather be like Christ. As Christ's ambassadors, let us love like our king. Let's pray together. Lord, we throw that word around so often. It has many meanings in our society, in our culture, even in your word. It has various meanings. But true love, the love with which you have loved us, is a love that lays down self, is willing to sacrifice for others. And Father, we confess we cannot love like that unless we know your love for us. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray even this morning that if we walk out of here with nothing else, we will walk out of here knowing that you have loved us by laying down your life on the cross, by taking it up again, by ruling and reigning in our hearts by your Spirit. And so, Lord, pour out your love in us that we might overflow and show that love to others in practical ways. Lord, draw us together as your people. Cause us to go out in love into our community. And let us look for and keep our eyes open with a, with a gospel perspective to see the needs of those in our church and also those around us. Seek to meet those needs with the love of your son Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.